Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of On The Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is a very funny guy out of Buffalo, New York, Don Johnson. I planned on booking him on a show, but the pandemic happened, and uh, you know, that really is a good excuse for everything. So I think from now on, whenever I don't want to do something, I'm just going to say, well, I was gonna, but you know, a global pandemic broke out. They can't blame you. So a little trick for you. But Don's really funny. We talked a lot about ska and punk rock. So if you don't like ska, and particularly the Mighty Mighty Boston's or Goldfinger, this isn't the episode for you. Stick around because Don is really funny. We talked a lot about George Carlin and Doug Stanhope and the Buffalo scene and what it takes to be an awkward mess, but be good at it. Thanks so much for listening. Please like, share, subscribe. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburned skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. I appreciate you doing this, man. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Uh, we all have a lot more extra time on our hands than we're used to. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Like, I, I think at the beginning of this, I'm like, well, you know, I'm so used to being really busy. How am I going to adjust? And then it took about a week and a half where I'm like, yeah, I can not do anything ever for the rest of my life and I'd be able to <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, you find you find ways to fill fill the void and scratch that itch. You know, it's not hard to be creative. You just have to push your efforts elsewhere. How have you done that? It's still a continuous struggle. It's it's you know, I've just <laughs> been right now. I've just been doing like ride sharing and whatnot, so you can still meet human beings and talk to them. Like I'm not a complete shut in like some people. Some people are just like I, I haven't left in months. You're like oh my god, <laughs> how long have you done Uber? Uh, I started in june started in june okay yeah it's pretty fun i did one unofficial uber and uh it was really weird like i was picking up my my ex-girlfriend from a bar and like i moved the car from it was so dumb the car was like across the street and she's like i don't want to walk there and that should have been like a sign <laughs> where i'm like okay you can walk home and we'll do this later <laughs> that's a red flag but, yeah. <laughs> yeah and there of which there are many and so i <laughs> So I uh, I pulled the car over and she got in the car and then three other people got in the back seat and I, I just said I'm not your Uber yeah what is and this? they're like what's happening yeah. right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they're like oh all right but the other guy got in and I was like well where are you guys going and they're like well we're going here and I'm like well that's on my way home I'll, I'll take you <laughs> she nice guyed you because <laughs> she knew yeah. you're a nice guy so so you're not gonna right. refuse. <laughs> no, and like uh, the like, funny thing like was reverse, like reverse. It sounds like a reverse uh, clown car. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you open the door, people just filter into the clown car. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was really embarrassing too, because like I, my backseat was just full of trash. I'm a comedian. My backseat was full of garbage and right. like we're not, water we're not bottles the and cleanliest everything. people. No, no, nobody should ever voluntarily get in my car. It's just that's just <laughs> the rule since like high school. Right. But the cool part was like they just kept throwing money at me. They gave me like fifteen or twenty dollars when I when they got in the car, right? And then I turned into the the driveway, and they gave me more money. I'm like, I'm really just going home and taking a right. <laughs> were they drunk? <laughs> well, they were coming out of a bar, so I assume they were feeling pretty well. Yeah, uh, yeah, they probably forgot well, they paid you the first time. <laughs> They're just like, ah, <laughs> did you pay them not? <laughs> not to go all therapy on you, but we got out of the car, and my girlfriend was like 
fucking, she thought it was hilarious. And then she picked a fight with me because she thought she saw me throw a Q-tip into the toilet. And it was the worst fight we ever had. Well, Q-tips don't like, go in the toilet, Mike. Come on. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, I was like, no, like I only clean my ears. It's so weird. But I was like, I only I mean, clean like, my ears in the shower. You don't shower with me. Listen, lady, like, the things I've like, seen you flush down that toilet. <laughs> let's not have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, you cheated on me twice, and this is the argument we're gonna have. <laughs> Damn, twice. So that means that means you guys got over one like one cheating incident. How does that happen? I can't do that. Uh, like got, you cheated me once, got, done. Got, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> got over is a very liberal term. Like, right, right. I just tempted to. I think for me, it was, uh, well, I helped move you into this place. I don't want to help you move out. Like, <laughs> I think it was like a, a, a very large component was laziness. Oh, oh it was, it's, it's almost like the Uber thing. She got, she got you to, <laughs> she got you to move her apartment. Dude, that happened to me once. <laughs> that happened to me once. Like I, I was dating a chick for like two months and I know it was only two months, but then uh, she's like, oh, we should get a place. Like, she was from, like, way far away outside of Buffalo. And she's like, we should get a, a cool place in Buffalo. And I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? So we, like, moved in together after only, like, a couple months. Within a week, I moved out. <laughs> I was oh, like, wow. I, can't, I can't deal with this shit yet. Like, you really now for me to ever like move in with another human being, I would really have to know how they live and how they react in a normal life situation. It's like, oh, wait, it's not like a date every day. You're living with this person now. Yeah, I remember when I went to my ex's house, uh, she lived like a mile from me, right. and her her kitchen was awful, and her room was a mess. Everything was a mess. But she's like, oh, yeah, I mean, her room, you can't explain it, but right. she's like, oh, my, my roommate is horrible in the kitchen. I'm like, okay, cool. All right, yeah. so I chalked that up. I'm like, all right, put that in memory. And then she moved into my place, like, officially, and I was like, holy shit, it's you. <laughs> it's like, you. <laughs> like, oh, and there's no escaping. Like, she had a friend over for the weekend. They, no joke, used every pot and pan and dish in the house. And then just left and it. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they went to uh. Albany. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? Like, if I want a, a bowl of cereal, I've got to do six weeks worth of dishes. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. It's, it's, it's really hard to... I may it was a mistake. It was a huge mistake, like two months. Like that's not enough. You need to scout out that person, how they live or something, or or maybe I was just blinded by love, you know, <laughs> or whatever. But but we'll go with that. Is- I, I would say I would say desperateness, you know, like <laughs> proud like lust. Very lonely. <laughs> yes. For me it was definitely it was like like I hadn't dated anybody in thirteen years. So like right. she could have been like she might have been the absolute most devilish person ever. Right. And I'd be like, Well, you touched me. You touched me in the place that only I do. So, <laughs> <laughs> And it took far less convincing than it would take me. Right, right. So. It's right. You willingly <laughs> did it. <It's, laughs> you're a keeper. <laughs> so you're the first person I've had here uh, from Buffalo. And I feel, uh, I feel, I don't know if you're the right person to debut from Buffalo, but uh, here we are. Oh, there's there's uh, so many funny people in Buffalo. Uh, so many better options you could have chose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> boy, did you scrape the bottom of the barrel? <laughs> I know, man. But here's the thing: like, I, I have a theory, and and I, the thing about comedians is like we're Facebook friends with all the comedians. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like, and then like, you, you don't meet even have them to know in real anybody. life. 
<laughs> and you're like, fuck. <laughs> like, yep. A horrible decision after horrible decision. Exactly. And, uh, but I love following you on Facebook. You've been recommended to me from RJ McCarthy. And, oh, uh, I love like RJ. That. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with it. No, he's, he's a good guy. <laughs> he's he did say right. something really. He, he did he say something really. His girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> he did say something that I think might be insulting. I think it was, uh, you remind me of Don Johnson. Oh boy! And I was like, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't know if that was a compliment or an insult to both of us. It could, you could be both. If you're me, okay. you take it both ways. You're like, <laughs> it could sound nice, but I'm always like thinking, like, what does he really mean about that? What does yeah. he really mean? <laughs> Is he just this unfunny guy who means well? You know, because that's whenever anybody says, "Hey, man, you you remind me of Mike Peters," I'm like, "Oh, don't do that. That's not cool." Yeah, reminding <clears throat> reminding someone of Don Johnson must be like, "Oh, he's he's all right. He's passable. <laughs> he'll get he'll, he's a clutch hitter." You know, but you know that had to have been a great compliment in the '80s with Don Johnson. <laughs> Obviously, you've heard that. Oh yeah, but oh, yeah. <clears throat> things have come down a little while. <laughs> but no, I I have a theory where, uh, and and this is why you know I fell in love with you over Facebook because oh boy, uh, you're a big punk guy, big ska guy, yep, and. I didn't think they existed until I started doing comedy, and then they're everywhere. Like, oh, yeah. almost everybody I talk to has some roots of punk rock or ska oh, or yeah. something. And it's, I remember the first I, the first other comic I met that was like a punk comic uh, was was uh, John Dick Winters, and then I met Habersat. And Habersat's like a big punk guy too, and it's like, holy shit! You you could be a comedian and like punk. You can't completely you you don't have to completely devote your life to punk and being a punk and all that. So it's it's pretty fun. It's pretty interesting. What do, you, what do you think the correlation is to that? Is it just that that the subject matter at times isn't taken seriously? Like, like it's the exact Jake. same. It's the exact same sensibilities. Like yeah. comedy, in a sense, is very fucking punk rock because it's it's. It's like saying, oh, I'm going to entertain people with just me without I like I don't need a whole band behind me. It's just me. that even that is just a very punk ideal. So I think it's the ideals are very parallel for sure. Well, I just think like like Less Than Jake has an entire album. It seems I mean, their artwork in the beginning was all about Pez. Right. And like Pezcore and and then Mustard Plug has, you know, songs about, I mean, it's Mustard Plug. Right. Uh, but they've got a song about yeah. gum, <laughs> chewing gum. Like yep. the whole lyric is, is chewing, chewing, chewing my gum. And it's yep. like, all right. But like, <laughs> I, I just, I see like bands like that and they're like, fuck it. We don't take, D- the Descendants have a song called Mug. Mm-hmm. And it's just like 30 seconds of the fastest song you'll ever hear talking about his coffee mug. Yeah, well, it's 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 not taking themselves so seriously. Like that's that's the beauty of like punk and even the even ska on a lesser extent is you're not you're not taking yourself so fucking seriously that you could you could crack a joke. You you can pull back that exterior that you're not just this rigid thing. Like you could you could laugh at your own lyrics. Even that's what's interesting about it to me. Who was the first band you got into? Like in that genre? Ah, the first band. Um, well. My whole taste in music developed as as an affront to everything I was surrounded by. Like my father listened to like a lot of country, and I'm not shitting on country, but it's the first thing you're forced into. You you kind of rebel against it immediately, no matter what it is. I've since 
came back to country, but I was surrounded by a lot of country, a lot of uh, hair metal and like Megadeth and shit like that. And I just, I wasn't into it because I had no other options. So I was like, there's what's, what's different, what's different. And then I found uh, the Ramones and I was like, Oh, Oh, it's like, it's like metal, but like faster and sloppy and, and anyone can do it in the best sense. It's the most inclusive type of scene there is. They're like, Oh, you don't have to have a million speakers behind you, and you don't have to have pyrotechnics and shit. You can entertain somebody with the rawest form of music in general. Uh, so yeah, the Ramones uh, definitely um, the Descendants came very shortly after that. I got a Descendants album at a used CD store, mm-hmm. and it was Everything Sucks. Such a good album. And I mean, it was like a half an hour and every song just kind of hit harder and harder. Mm -hmm. And, but I think, I mean, for a group, for me, it was green day. And cause I'm, I'm 37 Dookie came out and I was like, holy shit. And then self-esteem from the offspring. It's not, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair for me to not mention green day. I should definitely green day was actually the first punk concert I ever went to. I went to see, really? Yeah. I went to see green day when they were touring off of, uh, what was it? The one after Dookie that was Insomniac, I believe. Nimrod. Or, I'm sorry, Insomniac, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Insomniac, then Nimrod. Uh, I, so I saw them touring off of Insomniac. And and uh, yeah, Green Day for sure. They were the first time I saw a music video on MTV that wasn't like fucking Alice in Chains and, <laughs> and a Pearl Jam. Like I was like, ugh, I fucking hate all of this slow, melodic bullshit. And then I saw green day basket case the music video for it and i was like this is fucking different this is really different and then from there i i was like okay so this is punk what else is punk and then it directs you to to the ramones obviously right off the bat but yeah i feel i feel really dumb because i didn't listen to the ramones really until maybe three or four years ago but then i went back and and i'm like well what songs do they have and i realized that so many of my favorite covers Mm-hmm. are Ramones covers. Oh, yeah. And like like MXPX has a song, KKK Took My Baby Away. Yeah. And that okay. was like, it was on like at the show yep. at their live album. And so maybe that came out in 97 or 98. Mm-hmm. So for like 20 years, I had listened to this song and I'm like, I've never listened to the original. Oh, yeah. And like, that's it. Just seems weird. And then my favorite movie is Billy Madison and the Ramones are in there. And <laughs> I mean, they're in every movie well, back in the so 90s. Many, so many bands, especially uh, a healthy chunk of 90s punk, is definitely derivative from the Ramones because it's it's the same fast style. So yeah, you, even, even Green Day can kind of be traced back to the Ramones. A uh, little bit of the Ramones. Husker Du, you can hear some Husker Du yeah. in there. There's definitely, Ramones is at like the base ingredient in so many fucking bands. If it's not the Ramones, then it's like uh, the Sex Pistols. I've never been a Sex Pistol guy. I think they're like the yeah, boy band of punk. Them. Yeah, they were just genetically thrown together in the most unnatural way. They were more attitude than they were substance to me, anyways. Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, the first ska band I think I ever heard eh, it was probably Real Big Fish, but I didn't know what I was listening to. Right, uh, Mighty Mighty Boston's and Clueless. It was probably the first yep. real band where I'm like, I, I love Clueless, and I think it's a great movie, probably a perfect movie. It's it's but fun. I think I it's like a fun it's, movie, yeah. I, and it holds up really well. I think the the reason I really gravitated toward it were those two Mighty Mighty Boston songs. Yep, yep. Uh, what was it? Where did she go? Uh, I think that was the one yeah. that was in the movie. Yeah, Boston's. They were they were one of my early 
bands that got me into ska. I think the V band that got me into ska though was uh, Goldfinger. They're like my green so band, Scott. Yeah, Gold Goldfinger plus the drummers from Buffalo. That that definitely got. Oh, me. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think he's directly from Buffalo, but he's like from Western New York for sure. He always wears a Sabres jersey whenever he used to play. Um, they've done like free concerts here all the time, but. Yeah, I remember I was in an arcade playing air hockey with somebody, and they had like these TVs up in the corner. And they had, it wasn't MTV, but it was some music channel that they would just be playing. And we were just fucking shit up on an air hockey table. And I saw here in your bedroom the music video for that. And I was like, what the fuck is this? This is, this is like that Green Day moment, but I'm like, now I'm feeling <laughs> something different. Like this is a whole different type of thing. Open Your Eyes was the album that really hooked me. For oh, that. yeah. And I was in college and I think it's open your eyes. It's something like that. But uh, it's it's so it was so good. And uh, I mean, I, everybody knew like Superman from like Tony Hawk, too. Yep. Yep. And Tony, so, Tony I mean, Hawk series really got a lot of people into oh, it's surprising. Like yeah. so many people are like, oh, I love I love uh, Goldfinger. I heard him on Tony Hawk. And it's like shit. Like I only played one Tony Hawk game and I don't remember them having that good of a soundtrack but i guess they did holy shit uh, yeah i think it was i think it was tony hawk 2 they had mill and colin and a lot of like these kind of obscure bands you know yep. obscure for the, the public mm-hmm. and uh but i yeah i think it was i think it was uh no cigar uh, on yeah, yeah. tony hawk 2 yep and which is a great song and then tony hawk 3 had gutter mouth and oh, shit. Uh, a yeah. few other bands i remember my my college roommate hated the gutter mouth song and just, he's like, that's the only one you're like, skip it, skip it, skip it. Yep. And I'm like, I listen to all your rap. Like you can listen to my gutter mouth. <laughs> yeah. Listen <laughs> to this one song. It's sad that they, that that song probably gave them a bad rap. Cause that might not even be one of their main songs. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember the name of their song, that song, but, right. but gutter mouth has some seriously good songs. And I saw, a, I almost saw them one time shit out there too. So it might've yeah. been just one of their non-serious, you know, attempts. They were they were supposed to play Warp Tour one year, and Fat Mike from NoFX got on stage. He goes, "Yeah, Guttermouth is supposed to be here," and I don't know if it's a true story. I never looked it up, right. but he's like, "Yeah, they got a uh, their bus got pulled over and a lot of weed on that bus." <laughs> so probably I was like, damn it, almost on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, it's that's totally believable story. That's plausible for sure. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Warp Tour. That wouldn't surprise me because a lot of random shit that would happen on Warp Tour, because especially in the early days, that was not a well-run ship. <laughs> like, they were no. definitely flying by the seat of their pants. Uh, I actually saw the Boston's. I think the first time I ever saw them live was at a Warp Tour. Uh, and I saw them, and they were going on. They were supposed to go on right after Papa Roach. This is, <laughs> yeah, this is when, uh, this is when uh, they, they were starting to become really shitty <laughs> the more modern warp tour but uh yeah so papa roach decided to play longer like they played through their time because they assumed society would want that for some reason <laughs> uh so by the time they got off the stage and the boston's took the stage you could tell dickie barrett was very pissed off very yeah. fucking pit. Like he was, ju- he just started the set by talking shit about Papa Roach. Like he just couldn't let it go. <laughs> he couldn't let it go. It was like, oh, I was about two seconds from kicking their ass right off the stage. It's like, whoa. Uh, so yeah, you got, got to peek behind the curtain there. They were not a fan of, <laughs> of Papa Roach for sure. <laughs> 
I remember being in college and the Boston's broke up and I was so yep. heartbroken. I'm like, that's one of the bands I never got to see. And then I moved to Baltimore mm-hmm. in like 2008, 2007. And yep. uh, as soon as I moved to my new place, they came back and they opened for the Dropkick Murphys about 15 minutes from my house. Oh, shit. And I was there. <laughs> it was such a fucking good show. Yeah. And it must have been 2008 because the Boston's dropped down on Obama like a, in plaid. Yeah. It was just this huge banner. Nice. And so I took that photo and my brother-in-law is not a not a fan <laughs> of that photo. But, you know, it has to it had to happen. Yep. Oh yeah. You had to let him know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was heartbreaking because like for a while the Boston's were like my de facto band. Like I love them more than anyone. Now other other bands have kind of creeped in behind them and you know in front of them and stuff. But for a while they were like it for me. Like they were the end all be all. And then they broke up. It was very sad and heartbreaking. But how they came back is very uh very telling of who they are. Like I, I think Dickie Barrett in that interview said something along the lines of like they asked him why why did you come back? Like you got you guys made the decision to stop. Why did you come back? And he's like, "Yeah, I tried doing other things, and it's just he's like, that's just not who I am. I'm I'm in this band, and sometimes you have to walk away from it, I guess, to really realize that. Oh no, that's the guy I should be. I should not. <laughs> I should not try to go do other shit. Plus, you can't go it, it, back and do normal shit once you've been doing that kind of stuff. No, it and it always surprised me when I watch Kimmel and I see that Dickie is the host. Yeah, or like the announcer. Yeah, well, like, but to him, he's got a great voice for it, right? Even though that probably pays him pretty fucking good, way better than even being yeah. in a band. I bet if you were to ask him, he would probably still consider that his side gig. <laughs> like he would totally well, consider sure. it. Like, oh yeah, no, I'm in a band, but I also do this thing with Kimmel. Like, it's probably his thought process. Well, if the Boston's are your favorite band, maybe you can answer me this question. And I've been saying it for years; it might be a complete lie and something I, I'm just ignorant about. Right. Are they paying a guy just to dance in that band? Yeah. Oh no, they they totally. <laughs> yeah, they, that's that's the boss tone. They call him the boss tone, and uh, <laughs> I guess he was just. It, it's kind of like uh, those stories that, as a young kid listening to punk, you wish would happen to you. He would literally go all go to all their shows, and they loved how he danced so much. They asked him to be a part of the band. He would That's jump crazy. up on stage and he would dance and they fucking loved it. And he was he was their like mascot. And then he f- went from being a mascot to like, no, he's actually in the band. And he I think he even works in the music industry as well. So he, he turned being a super fan into being part of the band and he doesn't even play an instrument. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I figured, OK, may, maybe he's the manager of the band. He's a booking agent, something like that. Like there's got to be a, he may a, have a took, actual purpose. He may have took on those type of roles later. I'm sure they gave him actual jobs and I'm sure he does something very important. Like that I'm not a, Yeah, something. I'm very I'm, I'm sure he does that. But initially it was because he just danced around and they fucking loved the vibe. He probably helped like the audience get into the show. Cause there's, there's always them punk shows you go to that. Like, even though the band is kicking ass, like the opening band, no one in the crowd is like moving. Like everyone's like lethargic. It's like, Oh, you guys need some fucking coffee or something like what's going on. But he was probably always that dude that would show up and just start wrecking shit right off the bat. So they wanted him as their hype man, I guess. <laughs> what's your favorite Boston's album? Uh, to say, let's face it would be unfair. Cause that's that, that is definitely my, uh, that's the one that introduced me to the band, but devil's night out 
to me is like my yeah. favorite. That is that is the most pure Boss Tones album. Even though it's not the best recorded, I wish they would actually go back and re-record that album. Um, because you could tell they didn't they weren't fully sure of who or what they were at the time, but that seems like the most purest album to me. Mine has always been question the answers. Oh, that's and a great one. Yeah, yeah. I, I love Jump Through the Hoops. A Toxic Toast is my favorite Boston song. Yep. It's Rocking got, the Garbage, no, all that. Yep. Yeah, I don't I don't know if Toxic Toast is the only one they have a piano, but it's very I mean it's very uh they, pronounced they have, in it. It's I think it's the only like one that they have like classic piano, but they always have a keyboard like element to a lot of their music. And they have I think they tour and have toured with like a keyboardist for years. But um yeah, that's the only one that just has straight up piano, like that piano riff opening it was a very good song holy shit <laughs> i gotta revisit that <laughs> album <laughs> it's really good it's it's right behind i don't know if you can see it yeah oh yeah, it, yeah it's yeah, right yeah. behind my head yeah yep. so i just i forgot it was up there i'm like oh i turned away and i saw a question the answers i'm like well <laughs> when am i ever gonna have somebody who likes the boston's on the show again yeah there's not like people for some reason like to shit on the boston's because they were one of the few ska bands that actually became popular and were actually able to make money off of ska it's unrightfully so they definitely deserved the money they made with that album it's it's not like they were like i don't know i could see shitting on real big fish before shitting on the boston's for sure right because they at no point ever took themselves seriously they're basically like the aquabats to me like they were kind of like a party joke band they're like the wiggles for adults you know <laughs> they were yeah. they weren't that serious <laughs> the aquabats for me like they, they had a tv show they got some good songs right but it always is weird to me to say like like the origin of blink 182 includes travis barker coming from the aquabats right and it's like how do you have a guy with that amount of talent not the aquabats aren't good at all no no like no. travis barker is so good that how was he with the Aquabats? Well, he he tra- like everyone has to start somewhere, and he just yeah. eventually transcended the project he was in. So then he just he moved up to to Blink One Eighty Two, and you know the rest is history. He's and even even if you're not a Blink One Eighty Two fan, you have to give props to Travis Barker. He was one of the best drummers that have ever lived. Oh, He's fucking amazing. Yeah. In fact, I don't He's think a- he gets enough <clears throat> credit. <laughs> to be honest with you. No, I, I'm always a little jaded because I'll look at like the Rolling Stone top 50 drummers of all time or whatever. And I always think like the punk is severely underrepresented. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like, especially with bassists and, and guitarists, but drummers, I mean like Barker, I don't know know if he's like a John Bonham, but like he's up there, I think. Yeah. He's definitely up there. He, I think punk in and ska get left off of a lot of those lists because those lists are really just what is popular within mainstream so you're just gonna see you might see like blink 182 being on a, a like a top albums list or something but they're never gonna do a deep dive and say like well why are they that great like do they have right. a really good drumming like they don't ever look past the surface with punk uh, unfortunately, but there's a lot of drummers that would surprise a lot of non-punk fans. Like the drummer from Strung Out, probably one of the best drummers ever. The the original Jordan Burns. The timing and the speed, it's it's incredible. It really is. There's a band called Cigar. Have you ever heard them? Yes, yes, same They're thing. They have incredibly fast, killer drummer. Yeah, it's it's it is. They they haven't put out a lot of albums, at least that I have found. 
Uh, no, my buddy teased me for like two years, really, at college. He's like, like every month he would give me a hint as to who this band he heard was. Right. What I was told is they only play on the West Coast. Okay. So like they would they would open for Pennywise a lot, but like they would never come like past Idaho or somewhere. Yeah. And, but they were Pennywise very rarely came to came to East Coast. Uh, they they yeah. they were another band that stayed kind of on the West Coast side of things. But Cigar, Jesus, yeah. I, I can't believe I've met another person that knows who Cigar is. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as I know, there are three of us. So maybe that's why they're not producing a lot of albums. Yeah, yeah, they're not. They're, they're, they're bad at marketing. <laughs> they're bad at marketing. <laughs> or, you know, you have to leave West Coast to actually get any kind of a fan base. <laughs> you can't yeah, just... who wants to do that? Exactly. Once you're there, you're, you're entrenched. <laughs> well... Let's talk comedy because this is a comedy podcast, but uh, <laughs> bummer. Um, but what, what got you started in comedy? Like how long have you been doing it? Uh, I've been doing it close to six years now. Um, my buddy Kevin, uh, who was on my podcast with me, he got me into it. We worked together and we became friends. And uh, we used to work at a GameStop together, and we we used to roast people, customers. It would just be me and him closing, and there'd be like young kids in there trying to buy like Grand Theft Auto and try to like lie to their parent about how bad it is. <laughs> so, like, no, it's a great, it's a great game. And me and Kevin would just roast the shit out of the mob for for being so stupid. <laughs> but yeah, we were just we, you know we had a lot of fun, and then it got to the point where we were both like. Uh, Yo, you should try comedy sometime. No, you should. Blah, blah, blah. You know, there's that kind of bullshit. Like, you're really funny. And then we kind of lost touch, both went our separate ways. We got different jobs, better jobs. And then through the power of Facebook, I saw that Kevin was like doing an open mic. I was like, oh shit, Kevin's doing comedy. I got to go see it. And I hit him up. And uh, I was looking for shit to do at the time as well, because I had just gotten out of like a really long term relationship. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to I'm going to go out, going to see my friends like I didn't before. And uh, Kevin was the first like post relationship hang I had. So I saw him at the open mic and I'm like, this he's funny. This is fucking great. This whole thing is great. This comedy open mic is great. And uh, I kept coming back like week after week. So for at least like two or three months. I would just come and just sit quietly in the back and watch watch Kevin do his shit. And then he eventually was like, okay, well, now it's your turn. Like, you should do this <laughs> just as much as I should have. You're, you're fucking hilarious. And then uh, the rest is history. I picked a date. I stuck to it. And I've uh, been addicted to this, the cold-hearted bitch of comedy ever since. <laughs> <laughs> was there any gap or anything? Or were you like, hey, fuck it, I, I, got, I got hooked. I'm here for good. Well, I started. I started very like I tip my toes in the water. I would just do that open mic, which I feel a lot of people do. They just do the one open mic that they start at, and then I started finding out that there were other open mics, and some of them are are better and or tougher than this one. At the time, Milky's was probably the best, and then there was the Helium open mic. It took me almost an entire year to even do the helium open mic. Cause I was like, I am, I'm not a comic. Like I can't, I can't do this. I'm <laughs> just going to like some shitty dive bar and doing it. Like that's, I felt like you had to really, really be legit, which uh, honestly you probably should be. You should have your shit together before you try going at like an actual comedy club. But uh, yeah, I stayed away for like a year. And then uh, I think maybe six months in, I started going to Tudor Lounge, which is the the one that I host. And that one was way different than Milky's because in a lot of ways, like it still does, it sucked. <laughs> it was really bad. Like <laughs> It was the first like true 
comedy open mic in the sense that more often than not, it was mostly comics, maybe two or three drunk people that just aren't paying attention. But I started noticing that you could do stuff there that you couldn't even do at a normal open mic. You could lose your fucking mind at those open mics. Those are awesome for that alone. You could just try shit that you would almost be too embarrassed to try it like a helium or something. A lot of people even say like, oh, that's just a Tudor joke. I would never say that anywhere else other than Tudor. <laughs> so yeah, I started going to that one. Um, it was hosted by Heather Stack at the time. She was very unforgiving. She used to like roast your ass like while you're on stage. If you <laughs> if you were bombing, she'd just sit on the side and just start roasting you. So yeah, that one. Um, yeah, and then I stood. It, it just started increasing to where I was doing it almost every night of the week. So it was probably about two years it took me to get a hundred percent serious in comedy. How is the Buffalo scene? Because I've been there once. Uh, John Lockwood, we were doing a show, and and he he did a show. Uh, me and Phil Canarelli were doing this, this mini weekend tour, and Lockwood hopped on, and we did Milky's. And it was it was funny because uh, John's a good guy, and and uh, despite what everybody else says, and uh, <laughs> we were walking there, and he, before we walked inside, he goes, "Yeah, this place is kind of dive. Nobody comes here." I'm like, "Well, why'd you hook us up with it?" <laughs> no, because that's the one you should here. go like, to. <laughs> well, as far as show, it was like we, we had a whole lot of fun for for a while. They were like the pen ultimate open mic because they were just it was it was uh, produced by a, a lovely lady named Christy Rock, and you know she would put it in the newspaper and shit, and like it really had its shit going for it. Even then, it didn't. They didn't do shows like they weren't a good place for shows, but they will book any show you want to do like on a weekend they're all they were always open and available like oh i want to do a noise core band where i just scream my hopes and dreams into a garbage can for a half hour they'll be like all right <laughs> all right what's the door like <laughs> they'll totally put you yeah. <laughs> well at that point like there was no way we were going to get like a helium we were going to get anything it's like we needed somebody with low standards so right. that was perfect right. Yeah, they they definitely give you a shot. Nietzsche's uh, definitely gives a shot uh, to out of town people. Um, that's not even to say that uh, helium doesn't either. But you you know, there's proper channels to go through. Like, you, right. you definitely got to send a tape and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, Mil- Milky's. If you want to put a show there, you could put a show on there <laughs> at any time. <laughs> if you're just starting out, how good a scene is Buffalo? Like, are, I mean, it seems like there there are plenty of places to perform, and I know the talent is deep. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not just saying this because it's where I started and where I reside. It it really is a healthy a healthy scene. I mean, it has its own ups and downs, just like any scene. Um, you'll see that amplified in like New York City, but uh, Buffalo is. It's not necessarily a comedy town. Like audiences aren't always the best because if it's not about football or beer, uh, they don't give a shit. But but. The, the comedy fans in Buffalo are diehard. Like you'll see them coming back and back to open mics uh, to anyone. Anyone that would go to a comedy open mic either goes because they love the shit out of comedy or they're thinking of doing it. They, they don't just casually go to a comedy open mic, but yeah, Buffalo is a very, very uh, passionate city for sure. And it has its own flavor for sure of comedy. Like if you come here and see enough comedy shows, especially open mics, you're like, Oh, Buffalo has its own, own brand of comedy for sure. I have a, I have family who live in Springville, and okay. so like I don't know how close that is to proper Buffalo. Um, 
it's a distance, but you know, you'll you'll definitely see people uh, from Springville poking around the city for sure. But they're obsessed with the Sabers, and uh, my my cousin is just a, a rabid fan of Tim Hortons. And uh, I was like, so that's really all I know about Buffalo is that, that <laughs> hockey, hockey, Bills, beer and Tim Hortons. Like, that's all I know. That's it. You got it. You got it. And in okay. uh, subtle undertones of racism. But yeah, the, the, positive, <laughs> the positive aspects of Buffalo is where there's the quote unquote city of good neighbors. Uh, um, we're, we're definitely definitely passionate about our losing teams um, and we like to stay caffeinated and drunk it's kind of like a speedball <laughs> at all times the coffee is popular because we're drunks and we're drunks because maybe we're on too much coffee i don't know but yeah i think you, you nailed the uh you nailed it right on the head there <laughs> you ever see uh zach Amir make a porno absolutely it's a great fl- oh. <laughs> great film <laughs> it's a that, film okay. <laughs> That was the first movie I ever saw by myself. And I don't know. It was kind of weird feeling going in to see, you know, a movie with a a porno in a title (laughs) by myself. But I was like, all right. Yeah. Uh, But your description of that reminded me of the scene where that drunk guy from the Steelers game comes in (laughs) to the coffee shop where they're, you know, filming a porno. And it's just talking about Ben Roethlisberger and he wants a coffee. Yeah, that's it. It's like close. No, sir, we're, we're close. Rock em, suck em, football. Yeah, like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, football towns, especially like uh, the, the the Steelers and, and all that. They're they're very one tracked mind. They they really are. And I'm not even I'm not even a sports guy. I'm not into sports that much. But you can't help but pay attention when you're in Buffalo, especially if they're doing good. Like it's easy to be a fair weather fan in Buffalo. But um, the people that love them after losing four consecutive Super Bowls, you, you got to get your head examined. <laughs> like, I'm still a fan after that. Like, <laughs> I loved football <laughs> before that, but that kind of killed me for football. I'm like, I can't watch this sport anymore. This is an abusive relationship. I hate it. I wonder if Buffalo fans can uh, they can watch Ace Ventura and not have like this. <laughs> You know, like this Einhorn is Finkel thing, like, like <laughs> you know, laces out. Like if they can't think of Scott Norwood and just have these flashbacks, and and this is why I don't like life anymore. I don't know. I mean, again, I'm not a f- football guy as much as I used to be, but I think I'm not wrong in saying that maybe Norwood has been forgiven, especially after we found out that almost throughout all four of those Super Bowls, the Bills were completely coked up and and hooked. Oh, yeah, out. yeah, they they weren't. They all weren't playing their best during those days. So to just pin it all on Norwood and say, like, he ruined our one chance. It's like, nah, dude, he was maybe he wasn't on enough coke for you. Like, maybe that was the problem. (laughs) I remember I don't remember the story specifically, but I remember like hearing that the two weeks because because how it happens is you win your conference game and then you've got a media week. And then so you got a week off you know, from games yeah. and then you play again. So the, but those two weeks are dangerous. Yeah. And I heard the bills lived it up every time. Yep. Oh yeah. That, yeah. The, the, the rumor is that they acted as if they weren't playing a super, Bowl. like they were not taking care of themselves. They were just drinking and partying every single night. There's a story somewhere that, um, Jim Kelly and Lawrence Taylor, you just just order prostitutes and send them to each other's rooms and shit. Like it got bad. Like they were trying it at some point they were trying to out party each other. And they're like, 
well, if we make them party harder, uh, we'll beat them. <laughs> it's probably like who gets more tired out before the game. Like the game was played before the first snap. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, they, it was psychological party warfare. Well, I imagine that happens with the comedians at Helium. You know, it's like, you know, if, if you want a spot, it's like, no, I'm going to send a hooker over here. So it'll- <laughs> probably, I, I don't know. No one's ever sent, sent me a hooker. I've only just begun starting to work at helium. So maybe you have to, you got to have tenure to get hookers sent to your green room. <laughs> <laughs> well, the countdown begins. Yes, exactly. Like what, <laughs> how much time we got? <laughs> uh, well, so how'd you get started at the helium? I mean, what's the process like? Um, just, just go in there for the mics, auditions. They don't do the whole audition thing. It's 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 based off of their open mic. You you just start showing up at their open mic. Sometimes it takes a while for you even to get on the list because there's so many people that want to go up at Helium. But once you start getting on the list, I like to believe it's based off of ethic a lot. A lot of people will say like, "Oh, there's you got to be friends with so and so and whatnot to start working at Helium," but. I don't know. At the end of the day, just be funny. Just show up to the open mics and just keep being funny. Um, and somebody somewhere will see you. Yeah, that's about it. There's there's no silver bullet, as I'm sure you've learned as well. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I watched the, the clip you posted in February on yeah. YouTube. Yep. I watched it last night. It was a killer set. Oh, right. And I was like, I was like, from from beginning to end, like the crowd workers, uh, you know, right on point. Yeah. Well, uh, is that is that part of your is that part of your you know your arsenal? Like, are you pretty good at crowd crowd work? Um, no, actually. Like, I oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm not saying I'm not I'm I'm not saying I'm bad at it. It's just I typically don't do it because you know, like I usually see stage time as my time. Like I, 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 right. I don't want to try, try bringing other people into the set. Cause it could go horribly wrong. And I'm not confident enough for that. Like my, my friend, <laughs> Kevin, uh, my friend, Kevin is definitely one of the best crowd work comics I've ever seen. Like he could do an entire set just on crowd work. But that night that was uh, opening for Jason Muse and that crowd. Oh, awesome. That crowd was, so, they were, they were there to have fucking fun. So I was, I was definitely leaning into it. And the more comfortable you are, you, you definitely feel confident to do crowd work because they were just – they were eating everything up. It was a great night. That was the first time I ever posted like any kind of like set because usually I'm against that. But I'm like, this this was fun. And if I can't post this, then what the fuck am I even doing this for? Like why what, what feel bad <laughs> about it? A lot of people would be like, don't post anything in your first X amount of years. And it's like, yeah, you can go back and delete it, though. Fuck face. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I, I watched it and I had like a, a little bit of anxiety watching it because, you know, I am anxiety inducing. typically. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like 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 I would say the first six minutes goes well and then you start n- nothing went poorly but mm-hmm. there was a slow wind up to a joke you had yep. and i'm watching the the bar you know go to the end of, of the clip and i'm like he's got to get a laugh this has to this has to work yep. and it, it was uh, the bullying joke about your dad and yeah and i'm like that is definitely a shit, slow hit, lead up <laughs> it hit so hard and i'm like he did it and in my head i'm like you moron of course he did it Otherwise, he wouldn't have posted it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely. Well, there was there was a at least one of the nights to where that didn't land, and I <laughs> I didn't po- I didn't post that night. But uh, <laughs> it is it's it's one of those high risk, high reward type jokes because if it when it does poorly, you really did just sacrifice that much silence 
or jokes per minute for no payoff. <laughs> You're just like, right. oh, fuck, now I have to dig myself out of this hole, especially to use it as a closer. If you use one of those as a closer, you could just be like, all right, good night. <laughs> it's just on a, on a falling flat joke. <laughs> Well, and you have to because like – like, and I, I it happens to me a lot too. I think he said, yeah, I'll leave you on this one. That's such a gambled move. Like like I do it every once in a while right. and halfway through it, it comes out of my face. I'm like, what did you do? Well, in my like, opinion, what are you doing? For, I'll only do that. I'll only say that because I'm, it's almost like I'm making a contract with myself because yeah. I was already like butting up against the amount of time I should have been doing anyhow. So I'm like, can I fit one more in? And then I'm like, okay, I'll leave you with this one. Meaning like, no matter how it goes, this has to be my last one. So it's like, once you say it, you ha- you made the contract verbally now. You have to end it on that one, even if you bomb. So it's like, well, you you pulled the trigger on this last joke. You fucking, you bought the ticket, take the ride. <laughs> and, uh, Plus it's a, it's a good cue to the, the sound guy. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not, yeah. I'm not fucking you over either. Yeah. Get, get ready. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bail on this no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> if it bombs i'm getting the fuck out of there <laughs> what happens when that does bomb what do you do just how's you, how do you dismount uh i just immediately go into something else <laughs> or <Okay>. i mean <laughs> the safe thing to do is to just make fun of the fact that it bombed like i i started uh I think it has a little bit higher than a 50% success rate which is not good for a joke usually but uh if it does poorly or they don't receive that last line, I either have two or three different things I'll say as the punchline, depending on the type of crowd that I'll swap out. Or if none of them work, no matter what, I'll just, I'll say like, Oh, you all had well-adjusted fathers that loved you. That's cool. Awesome. (laughs) I get it. I know where I am. Okay. (laughs) It's just complaining, just complaining about the fact that you didn't do well seems to be funny sometimes because I don't know. I'll complain even if I'm doing well or poorly. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm going to feel horrible about myself regardless. Yeah, it doesn't so matter. You could love every joke and I'm still going to be like, it could have been better. <laughs> it could have been a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> what was Jason Muse like? He was very great to work with. He was very, uh, he was a, a gentleman. He, he was definitely not like some people would expect him to be like a fucking party animal. And he was all business. He really was. He'd like, I, I definitely, it helps knowing going into that weekend that he had since gone clean. Like he doesn't drink or smoke or do any of that shit anymore. And uh, it's surprising the amount of fans that still don't know that about him. (laughs) Because when he comes out on the stage, people are just like screaming at him and about joints and shit. And it's like, Oh, you, you just like the movies he was in. You don't know about him, Yeah, but uh, him as a person, he's, he's uh, well-spoken very professional about everything he does. He was, he was great to work with. I was super excited about that whole weekend. Is there been anybody you've worked with who you don't have to say names, but has been like a fucking asshole? Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I've worked with, this doesn't count as like a weekend, but I worked with Todd glass once Uh, I got to be in his fake band that he has. He has like a little band off to the side. Uh, he was doing a couple years ago and, um, He's very neurotic and he's very, uh, this is well known about him too, though, but he's, you don't realize how true it is until you're back in the green room. And, uh, 
he has different like color things that he puts over the lights because he likes the mood to be a, <laughs> he likes the color to be weird and he puts like actual candles and I put a straw wrapper down on the table one time and he's like yelled at me about it <laughs> he's like what? what no shit yeah yeah he like picked it up and he's like come on you're making a fucking mess back here but um <laughs> but then you think about it and you're like oh he's been doing this for years he's a fucking professional he's probably thinking past the point. Like, he's like, no, somebody has to clean that up for you. Like, the waitress has to come by and clean your fucking trash up. So he's just on a different level. <laughs> That's all. He's not crazy. Right. He's just completely at a different different uh, wavelength than most people. But uh, anyone I haven't gotten along with? Not really. Not really. You know, there's, there's some people that are just like, I haven't worked with that many, like, mainstream comics or whatever. But uh, right. a lot of them get in their own head just like any anyone else does so you could just tell that they don't want to be bothered like with with bullshit like they're there to do a job and you know just leave them the fuck alone but no you seem like a nice affable guy anyway i try so, i mean i'm i'm just as fucking neurotic and awkward and like i can make any conversation extremely awkward at the drop of a hat so if i see someone <laughs> if i see someone trying to like really focus on something i'm like i'm not i'm not gonna ask them to flip a social coin and be like oh should i risk talking <laughs> to this fat idiot like it might be a good time or it might be the most annoying time of your life <laughs> Who did you listen to growing up? Like, what? Who got you inspired to do comedy aside from Kevin? Oh, er, early on, first like special I ever watched was Bill Cosby. Like, obviously not himself a, or something else. Bill Cosby himself, the one that it was like okay. uh, it was on HBO at the time because we stole cable growing up. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> I would watch. They they would constantly put that on, and I would just watch it over and over and over again. And it was just like, oh, that I remember thinking that guy's getting paid to play pretend professionally. Like I do that, you know, with my friends all the time. It's like he took it to a next level. That that's what I thought at the time. And then my mother got me into Carlin. I listened to a lot of Carlin. First first live comedy I ever saw was George Carlin at a place called Melody Fair in Buffalo back in the day. And I didn't How was that? It was great, but I was just so young I didn't realize what I was seeing and I but I do remember my mom actually saying to me like she had like season tickets to like their their events or whatever and she would bring me to a lot of bullshit that I didn't like so I would always scoff if I didn't know who the person or or band was and she's like oh we're gonna go see George Carlin and I'm like Who's that? You know, like I didn't know. Like it was like this. This is this going to be lame? Like Air Supply? You brought me to Air Supply <laughs> like two weeks ago, and that like I fell asleep. Ma, and she's like, no. And she said to me, she's like, someday it's going to be really cool that you that you tell people you got to see George Carlin. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> and I sat there and I watched him. And he was he was like doing crowd work and he was tearing people apart and I'd never seen that before in comedy. I was like, fuck, this guy is amazing. And yeah, so it was uh uh Bill Cosby and George Carlin were the first two that I that I definitely saw. Do you remember how old you were when you saw Carlin? Like I'm trying to think of what what special he was touring on or working up to? Well, Melody Fair definitely wasn't a place people went when they were doing well. Um, okay, so it, might been, it might have been when he was having a, a like a dip in his career or something. Uh, I was definitely younger than ten. I think I was like seven or six. No kidding. Yeah. All right, so you're what thirty seven, thirty eight? I'm thirty nine. Thirty nine. Oh, you're an old guy. Yeah. So. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> <laughs> 
Let's go. Uh, I'm going to say it was 92, 91, 92. Okay. That sounds uh, about it. So, yeah, that's probably like Jamming in New York was around then. Yep. Yeah. That, those were some of his less popular ones for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was. It Do you remember was, any jokes from that? Oh, shit. No, I, I can't. Okay. Uh, he, what he was doing was like a mesh of different stuff. Like, I don't. I don't know if he was working on a particular set or not, but he was definitely doing a bunch of different stuff that I've I've not been able to go back and find an album and be like, oh, he was doing this whole album. Like, no, he was got just it, doing – he might have just been doing like open mic shit because it was Melody Fair at the time. <laughs> like, it wasn't it wasn't a great like, – I think the, the whole venue only held like 200 people, so it wasn't what you would expect Carlin to be doing, you know? Yeah, my my first show was Dave Chappelle. And I don't really. Think heard of him. Yeah, I've heard of him. I hear he's okay. Yeah, he's toiling around somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I went to a small school, of Mansfield in Pennsylvania, okay. and uh, we would always, I think, two years in a row or something like that. They got Fuel to play, okay. and uh, <laughs> so it's like, all right. I think they got Fuel the year before I went there, and then nice. my freshman year, and. Um, yeah, it was like all right. Shades Apart played, oh, and uh, Shades Apart. Yeah, they, they would open they for were, a lot. They of were better a lot bands. better. <laughs> yeah, I could be completely wrong, but I think the year before I got there, it was it might not. It might not have been Fuel, but uh, some Forty One and Shades Apart were on the same bill. Yep, yep. So I missed that one. Yep, I actually. And then uh, I saw them on that tour in Buffalo. That's when I saw something. Oh, really? One. Yeah, Shades Apart blew me away. I thought they stole the show, in my opinion. I saw Sum Forty One once, and they were great. Uh, it was, I think, it was after their guitarist left. Oh, okay. So it would have been like two thousand and five or six. Right, right. So it was around that time, right. and like, like definitely after you know their their big stuff came out. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Chappelle came, and I don't know what he was making. I th- it was right around the Chappelle show, so, so you know he was pretty much in his prime, nice. and he did maybe two hours on stage. Shit, which you know now, like you're actually doing comedy, you realize how long that is. That's a lot, and yeah, and then uh, I remember none of the jokes, but he would smoke on stage. Yep, and you know we had a no smoking policy in buildings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so he lit a cigarette and somebody's like, you can't smoke here. He goes, I'm Dave Chappelle. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, like, uh, he's like, they're like, they're like, well, you're going to get fined. He goes, how much is the fine? They're like, like 25 bucks. He goes, I got that. Yeah. Yeah. I think (laughs) so. I think I got that. He had, he had three cigarettes. And so every time he lit another one, he he counted the money. Yeah. He goes, what's that? 75. Okay. I'm good for it. (laughs) Yeah, so dude, it was he great. Just, he smokes on stage. He's he's right. It's Dave Chappelle. It's like, oh, do you not know me? <laughs> like, do you not know that that's what he he came to Shays a handful of years back, like four or five years back, and he went through at least two packs of American Spirits in a two-hour set. Holy shit! And those smoke like tree trunks. Like they they're very slow burning. You get your money's worth out of American Spirits. And holy shit, he was just sucking them down. He, that man is definitely addicted to nicotine. Something fierce. <laughs> no, remember, he tried to go to the vape pen for a little while. He doesn't do the vape pen yeah. anymore. He's back to the back to analog cigarettes. <laughs> well, it's like a like I can't imagine seeing Dave Chappelle without a cigarette. And I can't like, imagine uh, it'd be like Stanhope, like Stan, yeah, without a beer, like or a liquor. Like I can't, I can't see. That's exactly where I was going with that. Yep. And and like they're just accessories. Like if you bought, if you bought their action figures, yeah, 
You'd have to buy their accessories separately. Yeah. But it's like Hunter S. Thompson without the without the the tinted glasses. Like it's, yeah. it's part of your character now. You, I think that's it's probably why Chappelle tried the vape thing. It's like, oh well, I can still like hold something. It's like it's not a cigarette. It's not. It's not the same. Well, you met Stanhope, right? Uh very very briefly. Um, he came. He came to Tudor Lounge one time after a show when he was in Buffalo, because uh, my friend Tyrone is also friends with one of his openers, uh, uh, Kristen Becker. And C- Kristen was asking Tyrone, what mics are going tonight? Is there any anywhere worth going? And he's like, yo, Tudor Lounge. <laughs> Definitely come to Tudor Lounge. Yeah, he showed up, and I didn't want to like crowd him, because I've heard on podcasts yeah. and stuff that when he does stuff like that, he doesn't like people coming up to him and just you know, fucking fanboying and shit all over him. So I just, I said hi to him, thanked him for coming, and that that was where I left it. But yeah, he just sat in the back during the open mic, and it was kind of like a normal open mic, except uh, more people were there, so there was an actual audience. Um, <laughs> the 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 word got out that he was stopping by, but it was just like a regular open mic. But then you would just hear Stanhope's laugh with other people's laughs. <laughs> so that was that was definitely interesting. Well, was he on stage at some point? Yeah, he, because uh, it looked. Yeah, he got on stage like there was of all people. Um, there was like some new dude that just started. He had been doing comedy for like a week, and maybe he could just tell that the guy was like nervous or something. So he just gets up on stage quietly, and everyone's like not talking or anything. And the dude just stopped his set, and he's like watching, like why is Stanhope getting on the stage? Picks up the dude's notebook and then just sits down on the seat next to him and just starts paging through his notebook. He's like, ah, I remember my notebook. I used to write this type of shit in it and yada, yada. And he just launches into like a 20 minute story about how we started stand up. That's amazing. (laughs) And the dude, the dude's just sitting there still like holding the microphone, (laughs) microphone, like, (laughs) And Stanhope's just projecting his voice. And then I think eventually he gave him the microphone or something. But yeah, for like 20 minutes, he just like hijacked this dude's set. And then the fucking dude tried to like, after Stanhope got off, everyone's like clapping and, you know, thanks for having me here. I'm just going to go hang out in the back or whatever. And then the dude just tries to go back into his set. We're like, get the fuck <laughs> off the stage. <laughs> he tried to do time. So I, my friend Tyrone was hosting at the time because I was, I took the night off to go see Stanhope. <laughs> so yeah. Tyrone was hosting. And I think Tyrone like roasted him. He's like, you don't do fucking time after <laughs> like, you you just let that moment happen and then just sit aside and, you know, yeah. that's amazing you're trying to do fucking time (laughs) did tyrone light stanhope be like all right man that's that's five minutes i don't believe so no okay (laughs) that would have been hilarious i i (laughs) i wish i had that kind of confidence to be like all right move along buddy there's plenty of other people on the list come on (laughs) but uh yeah his his both his openers actually did time as well but they they like they signed the sheet <laughs> like everybody else. <laughs> Stanhope just kind of for whatever reason he went over to the list, wrote his he's like I think he asked Tyrone like who's on now, and uh, he's like oh yeah this this guy, and then he writes his name right after it <laughs> like I'm I'm, this, I'm going <laughs> I'm going up. <laughs> and then he got impatient and just went up during it. <laughs> Do you remember your worst set you've ever had? Uh, it was my first set at Milky's. It was my first set. Oh yeah. Um, I spent weeks putting together what I thought was a, a 
bulletproof set. You know, you have those sets where you're like, this is airtight. There's nothing that could go wrong. That this is no different than what I've seen other people do. This is great. Like you, you pump yourself up, you lie to yourself as much as you need to, to get up on stage and say it. I went up and I'm saying whatever the fuck my first year jokes were, which were all just cringeworthy. Porn's weird. Um, <laughs> I mean, I still have a porn's weird joke now, but it's, it's. I was going to say, I'm in my fourth year, fifth year, right. and I'm still like, oh, porn is strange, huh? Right. Well, no, but that kind of stuff, you really have to try to come at a unique angle. I wasn't. I wasn't coming at unique angles. I was like, porn's weird. When people shit on glass coffee tables, that's strange. Why is it, you know, like, <laughs> and and I'm doing this nonsense. People would laugh because of just how ludicrous the things I was saying. So basically what I'm saying is I didn't understand how to write a joke then right. as well as now either. But, uh, <laughs> but I remember it, it was bad if you didn't get laughs, obviously, if there was silence. But I had silence. And then he could very audibly hear a lady by the bar that was right next to the stage just whisper to her friend, not quiet enough because other people heard it. She's like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> very clearly, like like she thought I was like with special needs or something. <laughs> and then I'm just like, uh, I was like, a lot, lady, <laughs> a lot. Like I, I ain't up here because I'm a well-adjusted person. Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Yeah. You know, she should have been like, you ever see American Pie 2? She she could have been like, that's Petey. Like, yeah. come on, get behind him. And like, <laughs> yeah, like exactly. clap for the special needs guy. Let's go. No, no one was behind me. I didn't have early support like Petey. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have Petey support. No. You'll get a flautist eventually. Oh, yeah. So I'm, that's, I'm confident of that. Yeah, you know, like why if, – if you're not in it for the flautist, why are you in it? <laughs> why are you – I'm doing comedy solely to meet Jethro Tell. That's it. Like I just want Ian Anderson. That's it. <laughs> that's all I want. Flout. It's all about <laughs> – it's all about money, bitches, and flautists. <laughs> uh, so, so that set goes poorly. Why did you get on stage? And I assume you went on the next week too. Yeah. And that, in my opinion, that is that is the moment. Uh, that's one of the the red flags, if you will, that you might want to do this more often than not. Is if you do that, and then you rather than feel the shame that a normal, well-adjusted person should feel, uh, <laughs> feel shame and be sad about that. I had a feeling wash over me, like I know I can do better than that. Yeah. That felt horrible, but also exhilarating at the same time because you're just like. It, it felt like I dodged a car. I was like, oh my God, that, that was holy shit. Okay. Now I got to keep doing this so I can feel like the laughter, like the, the, like you chase, you're constantly chasing like a certain level of laughter. You see other people get it and you're like, I know I can do that. I know I can write better than what I'm doing. So then that causes you to just be better. Yeah. That was the thought I had. I was just like, yeah, man, I need to get back up there. I mean, there was never, ever a thought like, I'm never doing that again. Those thoughts came later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Once you do well, and then you have a night that's just as bad as that first night, you're just like, maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this. <laughs> maybe I'm just I'm still waiting. And, like, I, and I don't think it ever goes away, but I'm like, I'll have like four or five really good sets in a row. And then I'll bomb once or maybe two in a row. Yeah. And I'm like, why, why am I doing this? Like, am I, have I ever been good? Am I just tricking myself into this pool of delusion? Well, that's to make me think I'm okay at it. That's the most unfortunate thing about it. If you think about it is a good set. You could ride that for a couple of days, man. You'll be on cloud nine, but a bad set, 
Dude, <laughs> dude, that is just just eating a plate of dicks with both hands. Uh, <laughs> that that could just make you reevaluate your entire life. It goes beyond comedy; like it's it, it's almost on a biological level. It's where you're like, am I even a human? Like, what is this? <laughs> the lows are really low. <laughs> it's definitely it's, it's like. It's like now I know why my girlfriend left me, why my mom yeah, doesn't you, talk to me. You attribute it to you know, like all of that. Like you're just like, oh, all of my other failures. This this must be one of them too. And it's like, nah, dude, you got to stick with it. You got to get past that because now if you get past that and then have a good set, that's an even higher high. It, it's like a game of right. like highs that you're playing with yourself. But to come and back like, from it, a really bad set is an amazing high. What's funny to me is like. Even if like you, that anxiety goes away or it's, it goes down a little bit, like the better you get, the more variety you have of anxieties. Like, like I started producing shows and now I think, does anybody really like me or do they really (laughs) like the stage time I can get them? Like, like it's always going to be something. Well, to test, to test that theory, just, you know, like become really good at producing shit and then just suddenly stop and then watch what happens. (laughs) That, that's how you find that out because if you just stop and then suddenly you start getting on less shows less people start hitting you up then you start wondering like maybe it was just the thing maybe it was because i could just give them something it wasn't because i'm just yeah. hilarious like i just want that that random wellness check every once in a while like hey man how you doing like once that goes away i'm like okay now i'm of no service to you <laughs> and i understand my place in life exactly exactly i mean it's a weird question to ask in a pandemic, right. but what are your aspirations? I mean, are are you looking to get out of Buffalo eventually, or are you comfortable where you are? Um, I could go either way. Uh, there's there's some days where I'm just like, oh, you have to you have to get out of your town to do what you want. But then you see perfect examples of people leaving cities now, leaving New York and L.A. Like Rogan went to Austin, like, and he could still operate from Austin. And then some people would be like, well, yeah, that's Rogan. He can do what he does now anywhere. He right. built himself up. But then I have friends who are just strictly road dog comics. Uh, Keith Bergman is a very good friend of mine. Uh, he lives in Ohio. When it's not a pandemic, he's hitting the road a lot, quite a bit. And if what you're after is just doing comedy, I think you can technically do that from anywhere. But if you want to be actually successful, like if you actually want to really go beyond just open mics and go beyond just being a, a, a hometown uh, opener for whoever else is coming through town, you probably have to step out of your bubble eventually, you know? And, and when to do that, I have no idea. I, I don't know. I, I still consider myself an open micer. So I have no idea <laughs> as far as should I move? Am I going to move? I'm very, I'm very flighty with things that I do sometimes. So if you were to ask me that question, like, after the pandemic breaks, I could probably have a completely different answer. But as of now, I don't know. I really don't know. Well, you mentioned Stanhope's uh, openers. One of them's Olivia Grace. I assume she was there with you. Yes, she was. Absolutely. And and I, I remember talking to her in a bar in Pennsylvania. She came to do a show at a small place called The Keys. Yep. And uh, a couple of my friends were producing it. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm an hour away. I'll go down and support them. Uh, Lizzie Cassidy was there from New York City. Nice. And we were talking. And they asked me, now, I didn't do a set or whatever. So they were under the assumption I'm a good comedian. <laughs> I am not. So, so I lied to them, I guess. I let them believe what they wanted to believe. Right. But they were like, well, are you planning on moving to the city? And I was like, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if I'm ready there. And they go, fuck it. It doesn't matter. Because in my theory, and they agreed with this, was that 
if you move to the city, you can get on stage three or four times a week. So even if you're not, even if you're, you consider yourself, consider yourself just an open micer, right. it's like you're going to get better just because absolutely of the amount of times and the amount of reps you can get. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it'll like it'll like condense the time. You know, if it takes you six years in Buffalo, it might take you three years in New York City. But there's there's also half steps you can take as well. Like I got a friend that lives in Chicago and uh, they have a very healthy comedy scene as well. I've been out there a couple of times and uh, get up on stage four or five times a night in Chicago. So there's in my opinion, I would consider Chicago like a halfway point to like New York, not geography wise, but I mean, just like as far as career wise or something. Yeah, stage time definitely does equal getting better uh for sure but you can also get that by just going on the road as well like you can do open mics anywhere you can just hop in your car and drive an hour and just go do open mics in rochester or you can just go you can do what you need to do almost from anywhere but you're right new york city makes it super easy (laughs) you just leave you can just turn down one street and hit all of the open mics in one day yeah really yeah i mean you're probably gonna bruise your soul but yeah, you know? for sure. I, I had the uh I had the the honor, I guess, of doing the creek and the cave in New York City. Oh yeah. And they've they've since closed now due to the pandemic. But um it was very much the tutor of New York City, in my opinion, because it was just very unforgiving. The only laughs you were getting were from the regulars <laughs> that that would show up week after week, which I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like they, they you could tell they're getting laughs because they've been working on these jokes and people can see it. Right. But it was, it was very hard from an outsider to come and just show up out of nowhere and just make them laugh. It was very difficult. And that's not to say that I didn't bomb because <laughs> <laughs> I totally bombed my dick off because, you know, it was my first, my first Fourier at like New York city, but it's definitely Creek in the cave was definitely unforgiving. Like any, anyone will tell you that. Well, Lizzie was hosting like like Thursday or something like that, one of the mics, mm-hmm. and she's like, yeah, let me know if you ever go down, uh, and I'll get you on the list early because there are like 50 or 60 comedians who go yeah. and do that. She's like, we'll start at like eight or nine, and it'll go till one or two easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> I don't know if I have the patience to sit through that. I probably do, mm-hmm. but now I understand why comedians you know, dip in and out. Like They don't stick around to see the whole show. Yeah. They do their time and bail. Yeah, Chappelle's not going to sit there and <laughs> he's not going to sit there and just fucking wait, wait his turn. It's like, dude, I did this for years. Like, there's got to be a point where right. you've earned your your fucking stripes. And you know, I used to think that was shitty. Like, oh, he's just bumping people. And it's like, yeah, dude, <laughs> let let him do his shit and get out of there. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want to wait. Like your your best buddies are on a show, and, and there are times where it's like you know what I'd rather watch you know whatever comes up on my phone mm-hmm. than John Lockwood again. You know it's like <laughs> it's, you know, yeah, as funny as John is. If I have to see another John Lockwood joke, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like okay, and I and I get that completely. Like right. like I'll see Jim Gaffigan drop in at New York Comedy Club and look. Oh, okay, that was. It's got to be a huge deal for the comedians on stage too. Yeah, uh, can't imagine the guy following him is. I was just going to say anyone it. like when when uh, when Stanhope dropped by Tudor, everyone that went after him is just like we should have just ended the mic. It should just end the night. <laughs> it should honestly, because then we all felt like that first guy that tried to do time. It's like you're right time now. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to let you go. I, I know you got Ubers to do. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I don't want to continue to take money away from you. I got important business to do. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love hanging out with you. Uh, how can people follow along with you on social media? I imagine you don't have a whole lot to plug right now. No, I don't have I don't have anything to plug, but I, I attempt to be funny on Facebook. So so find me on Facebook, Don Johnson. Uh, I do Instagram. It's Don's underscore Johnson. Same thing on Twitter. And uh, yeah, just follow my, my bullshit online. It's at least one eighth as funny as I am in person, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> one eighth. That's a, that's good. That's a good bar. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Well, dude, again, man, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a whole lot of fun, and hopefully we can uh, meet in person and, and do a show together, probably at Milky's. Yeah, yeah, eventually. Eventually. We'll uh, we'll come out of this. We just got to gotta, we gotta sit in our rooms for a little while, you know? <laughs> Figure life <laughs> out. <use> that. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I'll talk to you in a bit. Later, man. Thanks for having me. You got it. I'm peeling back my sunburned skin. Wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in